The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound it makes. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can this happen? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand this? Amen. Amen. I say to you, We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the man who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings now take a shift as we move out of the Easter octave. We continue hearing from the Acts of the Apostles, as we will do sequentially throughout this Easter season for our first reading. But now our Gospels have moved solidly into the territory of the Gospel according to St. John. And we have begun this week hearing from chapter 3 of St. John's Gospel, the famous incident where Nicodemus comes to him in the dark of night. Nicodemus is a fascinating character in Scripture. He appears by name only in St. John's Gospel. And so it is there that we must look to understand him. We see him near the beginning of St. John's Gospel in chapter 3. The teacher, the member of the Sanhedrin, who is curious about Jesus, who comes to him at night in the darkness with his questions and to listen to the Lord and learn from him. And this is where we find ourselves in their conversation now. Nicodemus has arrived and Jesus is speaking to him. Later in St. John's Gospel, as the Sanhedrin is plotting the arrest and the execution of Jesus, Nicodemus raises an objection. It is not a forceful one, but he speaks out and then is challenged by the high priest and says nothing in response. And we see him again on Calvary. After the Lord has died on the cross, 
Nicodemus is among those who arrive as the body of Jesus is taken down. And we hear that he comes with over a hundred pounds of spices and ointment with which to take care of the body. It's an excessive number, a ridiculous number, a number he likely could not physically carry himself. And we are left with this puzzling picture of the man who comes at night to listen to Jesus, and as we'll see, it's still night when he leaves. He arrives in darkness, he sits before the light of the world, and yet he leaves, and it's still dark. He is fascinated by Jesus. He expresses an interest and a certain degree of support for Jesus, but there's a tentativeness about it. And then at the very end, he comes with all of these spices, all of these ointments. And the excessive quantity, is that a sign of the great honor he wanted to pay to Christ or how convinced he was that he was dead and not coming back? Nicodemus is odd because we never see him actually make a clear act of faith. He is, in some interpretations, the ultimate fence-sitter. And if we're honest about ourselves, all too many of us who, name, who glory in the name Christian are more like Nicodemus than the disciples. We have been baptized, we have a certain degree of esteem for Jesus, but we waver with regard to, am I really going to give myself to him or not? And if we look around the world, it is the spirit of Nicodemus that is alive and well, at least this understanding of Nicodemus, that is alive and well in what had once been proudly Christian lands, where... Jesus is nice to have around. And it's good at certain times of the year to take a little time with the Lord. But let's not go too far. And if faith becomes inconvenient, well, you know, there are other important things too. This spirit of the fence-sitter is what we see Jesus engaging here. In fact, if you study Christian art, you'll see that there are interesting things, for example, if you look at paintings of the Stations of the Cross, where oftentimes as the body of Jesus is taken down, we'll see Mary and Mary Magdalene and the Holy Women and St. John and Joseph of Arimathea, and they all have halos. And then there's Nicodemus, the only guy in the picture without a halo. At Fatima, the outdoor stations of the cross, which were put together by a Hungarian artist uh, quite some, about 70 years ago, are fascinating because if you pay close attention to the figures, most of the eyes are closed in all of the relief images. And it's interesting, it's a contrast between the vision of the world and the blindness of faith, which sees clearly. And so those who are hostile to Jesus have eyes that are wide open. 
the Lord and everybody who is coming to faith, their eyes are closed. And then you get to Nicodemus, he's the only guy whose eyes are halfway opened and halfway closed. He's caught between blindness and sight, between belief and unbelief, between following the Lord and letting the Lord pass by. Nicodemus is never hostile. Nicodemus is not a bad guy. But he's also not particularly good. He's not a great sinner, but he's not a faithful believer. And so here it is, he comes because he's curious about Jesus. To his credit, he shows up. But one wonders, is he merely curious or is he really seeking truth? Because this too is something that happens all too frequently. There's a certain personality type who is fascinated by faith, fascinated by religion, but doesn't want to belong to it. It's fun to think about. I enjoy watching programs about it or reading books about it. You know, or that type who shows up at certain family gatherings who can spend hours asking those who are committed to their faith all kinds of questions, which in the end become mere wheel spinning. It's a matter of satisfying my curiosity, but never of calling anything out of me. And so pulling away from Nicodemus and looking at ourselves, the way a certain part of the Christian tradition has viewed him is instructive for us because it raises the question of how many times we mistake things like curiosity for commitment. How many times we mistake the fact that it's kind of nice to be with Jesus now for actually getting up and following him. And note how wonderfully patient Jesus is. This curious man seeking something comes to him in the night. And one must say Nicodemus is no amateur with regard to matters of religion. He's in the Sanhedrin. He is one of the teachers, one of the authority figures. And yet there's something about Jesus he's trying to understand. And he comes to him, and Jesus begins to explain. And this third chapter of St. John's Gospel is that great chapter in the Gospel of St. John where the Lord unpacks the saving mystery of holy baptism in the context of his own great love and self-giving, which will redeem the world. And in some churches in the baptistry, it would not have been uncommon in certain parts of the world to see a window or a painting of this scene. Right near the baptismal font, Nicodemus seated across from Jesus, and Jesus speaking about the importance of being born from above of being born anew and Nicodemus trying to wrap his head around what that might mean. So this is where we are. 
And of course, Jesus, as is typical of Jesus, especially in St. John's Gospel, speaks very mysteriously and then pauses in wonderment that the one he's speaking to doesn't understand it all right away. And again, if we're honest about ourselves as we hear those statements about Jesus, about the wind blowing where it will, and you feel it and you hear it, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes, and that's the way those born from above are like, we probably find ourselves sitting there on the side of Nicodemus saying, what? And so we have to look at Nicodemus with a certain sympathy. Because the Lord looks at him and says, you're the teacher and you don't know basic stuff like this? And again, we want to sit there and my heart is saying, I'm glad I'm not the teacher because I don't know that either. Um, and as the Lord speaks this way, he's highlighting the fact that certain things are only going to be clear when you commit yourself to me. There are certain things that will become clear by belonging to me. And I can outline them for you. I can give you a sketch of them. I can talk about their meaning. But the fullness of that will never be accessible to you unless certain things happen in your life. Curiosity might bring you to me, but curiosity will never understand me. Being fascinated might bring you to me, but fascination won't get you into the heart of the matter. Something else has to happen. And so note what the Lord says to him. You must be. Not I suggest. You must be. And when Jesus speaks that way, he is challenging Nicodemus. The real question is not just what does this mean, help me understand, but if this is what must happen, how do I do that? And if I'm only stuck on the level of how do the pieces fit together again, I'll never move. And there's a certain element of knowing Jesus that is only accessible when we belong to Jesus and we embrace that belonging. And that belonging begins as something like a birth, the Lord says, a coming to life from above, a coming into the world anew from above. What an interesting expression. And notice he doesn't say here again, he simply says, from above. You must be born from above. In other words, there's an element of life which is inaccessible to me if my life is only from below. There is a from above to life, a from above which is generative of life a from above which allows me to truly live. And one who is born must grow. And the fascinating thing is now Jesus, now Jesus says, you don't know where the wind comes from. It blows where it will. And you'll feel it, and you'll see it, and you'll experience it, but you will never know where it came from and you have no idea where it's going to go. 
But while it hits you, while it brushes up against you, you know it's there. And know what Jesus says? He doesn't say that's the Holy Spirit. He says that's the way it is with those who are born from above. You're curious about my followers. You're curious about life that is united to me. And you're curious about it because you felt its impact. It's touched you. It's brushed up against you. You've heard the sound of its movement. But you have no idea where these hearts have come from. And you have no idea where these hearts are going. And they move where they will, when they will. Not that they are capricious, not that they are arbitrary but there is a freedom about the life from above, which is like the freedom of the wind in the eyes of the worldly man. Nothing hinders the wind. The wind goes, the wind stops. The wind has a destination, but I don't know where that is. And the wind that strikes me came from somewhere, and I don't know where from. You know, and I can watch Rich Hoffman every morning on News Channel 12 giving me the hyper-local forecast, and I'm still not going to know exactly where the wind came from and where exactly it's going. Only that it's about to hit me at a certain time of day. And notice Jesus is saying this. He's describing the character of life that is given to him. Life that is united to him. That I am a fountain of life. And belonging to me is a fountain of life, a life that has a freedom and a movement. And the source and that vitality of that life is not visible to the world any more than the wind is. I can see the effects of the wind, but I don't see the wind. I can see the tree move. I can see the leaves be scattered. On certain days when we're celebrating at the rock, you can see me fighting with the pages in the book. But we don't see the wind. We see its effect. And Jesus says, those who are born from above, for you who are still in the darkness of this world's night, you'll see their effects, but you won't really see what moves them. You won't really see what their source of freedom is. You won't see that. But it does have a source. And note now as the Lord is speaking about this, and he's speaking about that dignity and the freedom that come to us from baptism, from being plunged into him, he also speaks about the need to be lifted up. And here he sounds that clear note in the darkness of Nicodemus' curiosity, this bright light which looks ahead to that dark day on Calvary when the sun will not be shining and he will be lifted up. And know what the Lord says. He doesn't talk about his suffering here. He doesn't talk about his pain here. He doesn't talk about bearing our guilt here. He says, I must be lifted up. And why? For the healing and the making new of human life. And note how the Lord himself, 
now is saying, what happens on Calvary, what happens in and through my self-giving, this being lifted as a sign of healing, it is from this lifting of me that that being born from above will flow. Because again, let's, if Jesus is insisting I'm talking about basic stuff here, let's just ask a basic question. If I am lifting someone, am I putting him below or putting him above? Above. You must be born from above. I will be lifted above you. I will be lifted above this world in my self-giving. And you must be born from above. From this above of what I do for you, from this above where I will reign, from this above, you must be born again. He'll continue this teaching now as we move forward over the coming days. Tomorrow we'll have that famous verse, for God so loved the world. It connects to what he's saying here. The being born from above, and his being lifted. But note what he is also saying about each and every one of us. This is the great gift of Easter. This is what we work to get ready for all through Lent. The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. That's the world. But the believer who is born from above knows where he or she has come from. The believer who is born from above knows where he or she is going. And he or she goes where he or she will. Why? Not because we're random. Not because we're capricious. Not because we scatter ourselves. But the one who knows from where he has come and to where he is going is going to go where he will. And where are we going? It may look random in the eyes of the world because we don't conform to the world's sense of direction. But those born from above have a directionality in their living. The world can't see it. It looks odd. It looks different. But the one who's born from above is not moving randomly because we know from where we have come and we know to where it is we are going. Amen.